Good morning. This morning I'll be reading Matthew um, chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 9. I um, want to welcome this morning Zach Baden and Heather Cannon. Where are you guys at? There are two new summer interns. Would you give them a warm KC welcome? KCC welcome. <clears throat> we know you guys are going to bless us. We hope that we bless you. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, now I need all of your participation uh, for something we're going to be using later on in the sermon. So pay attention. Here we go. I want you to think of something that's probably the grossest thing you can think of. A couple of seconds. Something that would make you say, ooh, okay? Because that's what I need you to say on the count of three. One, two, three. Ooh. Oh, you can do better than that. One, two, three. Good job. Okay. Now, the other thing I need for you to say a little bit later in the sermon is yay. So if you need to think of something that makes you want to say that, or you say, no, nah, I can handle that on the count of three. One, two, three. Yay. Okay. Now, I want you to say yay when I do this. Okay, ready? Here we go. We're going to practice. Yay. And if I do this... You do the other. What's the other? Okay. Now we go. I have seen several ways that Jesus has been portrayed in art over the years. Uh, some reclining, which is probably the most popular at the Lord's Supper. Another's praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. One's walking on the water in the midst of a storm. One of my favorites, uh, I couldn't find online, I tried to get it so that I could post it up, is one that's in my uh, good friend John Duncan's office, and it's one of Jesus holding a prodigal that's returned from his wilderness. I've seen paintings of Jesus praying, embracing, eating, and teaching, but one image that I have never seen a painting of is Jesus spitting. But John records exactly what he does in chapter 9 of his gospel. Now, I looked on Google Images for Jesus spitting, and all I could come up with was this. It was the actual application of his miracle mud on the eyes of a man that he made with spit. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. We finished a couple of weeks in John chapter 8, where Jesus makes a declaration that he is the light of the world. Now, with the implication that whoever then makes him his disciple... Whoever commits his life to him and follows him doesn't have to remain in darkness, but will have, we saw in John 8, the light of life. I can say as a satisfied customer, that's exactly what you'll find. He is all of those things that you've come to expect from any light. Warmth, healing, clarity. We know that light illumines, we know light gives hope, we know light reveals. And Jesus says, that's what you can count on with me leading your life. And again, satisfied customer here. He delivers. Now what's interesting is, what is proclaimed in John chapter 8 is now illustrated in John chapter 9. Read with me. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents said, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Because you see, night's coming when nobody can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. And he made some mud with his saliva. And then he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Because this word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Well, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same fella who used to sit and beg? Somebody claimed that he was. Others said, Nah, only looks like him. But he himself insisted, Look, I'm the guy. I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And then he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went, and I washed, and then I could see. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. Some of us want desperately to see out of the darkness that we're in. And to be honest, some of us don't. We don't want to see. But I'm asking for even those who aren't convinced they need to see, that you'll open eyes today to help us to see what angels have longed to see for centuries, but that we have been privileged to. Father, we know we're not the only ones who are asking you to be light in our lives, to be sight for blind eyes. Um, so we joined Trinity Baptist Church, and John Weed, who I know is preaching at this moment, would you please pour your spirit out on them and us as we try to hear from you today? Would you be that light that opens blind eyes? For all the disciples in this community, would you make us one as you and the Father and the Spirit are one? For we ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said. How would you like to have your handicap discussed in front of you like some theological conundrum? Truth is, the question of suffering and who's responsible is one that gets a great deal of airtime in churches. And rightfully so. I read one scholar this week who sees this blind man here who was born blind as the purposeful design of God, that God created him blind on purpose in order to bring him glory. Another scholar says that's ludicrous, that if this sentence had only been properly punctuated, aside, uh, manuscripts didn't have punctuation, didn't have commas, didn't have periods, didn't have capitals. If it only had been punctuated properly, God would not get the blame for his blindness, only the credit for his sight. Rubel Shelley goes on to say no one is to blame for this man's blindness and to suggest that God needs to handicap people in order to prove his power is ridiculous. His blindness is simply a part of the brokenness of this world, and Jesus did come to heal that. I don't know who exactly is right. I think both explanations are plausible because of what Scripture says. But the problem with debating theology is that sometimes it can just be a fascinating distraction to caring for hurting people. And God hates that. Maybe that's why Scripture itself says, be careful. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Doesn't mean don't pursue knowledge because Scripture will say we ought to do that, especially in the Proverbs. But warning, sometimes knowledge puffs up, but love always builds up. So let's take a look at what love does in this situation here. 
Jesus, rather than continue the discussion in theology, walks over and he initiates a little spit therapy. He gets him a good wallow going. I'm not going to ask you to do that, all right? Then you'd have to swallow it. But he gets a good wallow going. And he bends down in the dirt. And then Jesus spits in public. Kids, next time that you spit in public and mom says, don't do that, say, Jesus did. Some of you moms are thinking, thanks, Jim. Great memorial gift there, brother. But then, mom, you can say, well, you spit anytime you want when you can work a miracle with your spit, okay? Gets him a good wallow going and spits in the dirt. And just like if it was your spit or mine, in a moment, he changes that dust into some clay because of his spit. And like I've seen my wife do often, he takes that spit and he applies it like I would spackling to a hole in a wall. But he does it to this guy's eyes. You ready? Here we go. Yeah. Good thing you couldn't see that, right? Jesus then instructs the guy to head to the pool of Siloam, which I'm guessing would require some assistance, right? Maybe not because a blind man may have gone to the pool of Siloam so often he could have done it blindfolded. Glad you got that. I I just wondered, would they get that, Lord? But this guy goes. He does exactly what this man asks him to do. I don't know if he knows Jesus' reputation, but he does. He leaves his beggar's kiosk and he goes to wash off the spit from his eyes. This is the only thing that makes sense to me so far in this entire text. But can you imagine what it was like for this guy as water starts to remove the muck that he has on his eyes? And all of a sudden, for the very first time in his life, he sees things. Wow, buddy, this is Genesis 1 all over. Let there be light. And the guy can see. Sounds and smells he'd only known from darkness all of a sudden took on shape and color and texture and size and depth. What a moment to see a world he'd only known through darkness. I remember when I got my first pair of glasses in fifth grade. I had no idea you could see leaves on trees from closer than two feet. But when I got my new glasses, I could see them. I had no idea that you could see individual aspects of people's faces unless you were two or three feet close to them. When I walked out of that optometrist's office, I was stunned at how far I could see. I was stunned at how much I could see. And this is a kid who's been able to see since birth. Imagine (laughs) never having been able to see. And all of a sudden, you're washing this mug from your eyes. And you can see everything. I think that would cause us to want to say, good job. I think. I I think it would cause everyone who would know this man to want to say, but that's not what happens. Here's what saddens me about this chapter. This guy can't find anybody to rejoice with him. Everybody he runs into is suspicious of him. First, it starts off with his neighbors, those who had seen him panhandling because of his blindness. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg, they ask? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, I know he looks like him. But he insisted, no, I'm the guy. 
How then are your eyes open, they ask. I go, really? We're, we're going with the how questions instead of the wow exclamations? They've watched him trip and stumble all of his life, and instead of celebrate with this guy, they want to investigate first? Really? But it gets worse. The people see some spiritual leaders, I don't know where, down the street, close by, I don't know, but they, but they gather them. Now, on the day in which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes, happened to be the Sabbath, the Scripture says. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, and he put mud on my eyes, is what they said. When he put it on my eyes, I washed and I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Wow. That's a reaction. This guy's not from God. No celebrating. We've moved from wondering how now to all of a sudden condemning now. Really? In such a short period of time? This receiver of a miracle is just looking for somebody to, to high-five him, and he gets left hanging everywhere he turns so far. And that just saddens me. It stuns me. And, and then we find out why. Jesus forgot to consult the healing handbook. Great idea, just poor execution, ungodly execution, because he did it on the Sabbath. Is that really a breach of the law? Well, the law says no work on the Sabbath. doesn't say anything about not healing on the Sabbath. Jesus isn't playing fast and loose with it. The law was never intended to keep us from enjoying the day and, and being blessed by something that could happen today. He just wanted us to stop working because he knew if he didn't threaten us within an inch of our life with it, we wouldn't stop and rest and refocus and renew our, our love for him. But any good Pharisee knows that if you spit on the ground, that could make some clay. And we all know that clay is used for building, right? And if you build, that could be work. That's why this guy's a sinner. He's encouraging work. And an angel up in heaven hears this and hits the absurd button, which causes everyone in heaven to say, oh, come on now, hits the absurd button, and everyone says, really? That's what you're getting from this? I love what Max Lucado writes about the response of the Pharisees. He says, what we've just read in Scripture is a lot like if you went swimming at the pool nearest you. And a sign on the fence said, rescues performed by certified lifeguards only. Well, you notice the sign, but to be honest, you don't give it much thought. Until one day you dive into the pool and you hit your head on the board going in, and immediately you black out and start sinking 10 feet down at the bottom. The next thing you know, you're belly down on the side of a pool and you're coughing up water because somebody has rescued you. But when the lifeguard appears who was away at the bathroom or the concession stand, your rescuer disappears. And as you come to your senses, you start to tell your story. But rather than rejoicing, you actually witness people recoiling. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Sorry. Not an official lifeguard. Wasn't legal. I'm sorry, since the rescuer wasn't certified, consider yourself drowned. To which we would reply, really? You've got to be kidding, right? Too often those who consider themselves spiritual authorities cannot see the powerful move of God because of the perceived mistakes they see of the law.
That stings for this leader. Well, maybe we can find the guy's mom and dad. Surely they'll rejoice with their ex-blind son, one born from birth blind. Surely they'll rejoice. No. They see this son of theirs as a person not to rejoice with, but with a problem, listen to me, to worry over. The religious authorities round up mom and dad, and with their eyebrows arched and their arms crossed, and with all the joy of an inquisition, they ask, Is this your son? Is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he's our son. You've got to hear this in kind of a timid voice. Uh, we know he was born blind, but how he can see, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said, all of this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who were already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's a little bit of an aside by John, kind of giving us a little interpretation of what's going on, what's behind the scenes. It still doesn't matter to me. The parents aren't going to celebrate with their son because the synagogue thinks more about what they're seeing than a, a, a man seeing? Really? So fear of rejection wins out over a life-changing celebration. And I'm going, really? This man is finally able to see, but his family doesn't want to be seen with him? That makes me think in our church, really? We're not done. Tragically, we're not done. A second time the Jewish leader summoned this man who'd been born blind. Give credit to God, they say. We know this man is an imposter. And the blind man says, I know nothing about that. One way or the other. But I know one thing for sure. I was blind, but say it with me, church. But now I see. They said, why did he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Here we go with the how questions again. He answered, I told you already. And you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Wow. This hit a nerve. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where the guy comes from. I love this. Wow. That's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody, repeat, nobody has ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind. He goes on, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, ooh, it gets ugly. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And the angels in heaven and those of the KCC church said, What a day. <laughs> Healed by God only to be kicked out by the church of God. What a day. And it leads me to ask, who's the real blind man here today? The neighbors who didn't see a man healed, they only saw a novelty. The church leaders who didn't see a man healed, they only saw a technicality. The parents who don't see a son healed, 
They just saw a social difficulty. In the end, nobody sees him. Nah, that's not the end of the story. It's not. Jesus goes and finds him, the Bible says. And he holds up his hand and he high-fives him. That's not in the text, but I'm just seeing that, all right? And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, point me to him, sir, so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking, I love that, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Hang on to that. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe. And the man said, the man said, and then he worshipped him. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I know how it hits the angels because everyone rejoices there when there's one sinner who turns from their wicked ways towards Jesus Christ. They all say in heaven, much better than that. They really do a better job there. They say, because that's what happens when just one person turns from their unbelief and places their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what this guy takes away from his experience on that day, but here's what I take away. A couple of quick things. Number one, with Jesus, when mission and tradition collide, sometimes mission wins. It should be always mission wins. The hardest aspect of continuing in ministry for me most days is this. Seeing traditions of men stand in the way of the mission of connecting and growing people to Christ, that, that frustrates me more than anything else. Kyle Alleman authored the book that was very popular a couple of years back called Not a Fan. Highly recommend it. He was talking about a mission trip that he had taken to Haiti where they met a living-year-old boy whose name was Franklin. Franklin began following around to different activities, and they just couldn't lose the kid. Just loved being with them. Well, the teenager that was Kyle's translator shared Christ with Franklin. He became a Christian. Kyle said to Franklin, when he heard about it, yay! He said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a brand new congregation. We want to invite you to come. He said, oh, no, I can't do that. That's not the response that Kyle was looking for. He said, can you tell me why? He says, I don't have the right shoes. Kyle looked down and his sandals were ripped and they were broken out and they were mismatched. They were hardly enough to qualify for any kind of a shoe, not even a sandal. But when Kyle heard this, he said, no, 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 you can come to church with those shoes. If that's all you have, God welcomes all of us right where we are. And instead of translating... What Kyle said, the translator turned to Kyle and he said, he can't go to church. He didn't have the right shoes. The leaders won't let him. And Kyle thought, I love this, in Haiti too? Really? It matters what you're dressed up with in Haiti too? Kyle went on to talk with the translator a little bit more and he realized it wasn't just Franklin, but there were several kids in the community who wanted to go to church, but they couldn't because they didn't have the right clothes. They didn't have the right shoes. And Kyle said, my first thought was, we need to just go get him some new shoes. We need to get him some new clothes. And then he said, no, that's not the Jesus thought, and it's certainly not the Jesus way. He said, the Jesus way is a church needs to allow the kids to come. 
just as they are. And so Kyle talked to the preachers who were launching the church, and Kyle said, a minister who he deeply respected pushed back and said, not in Haiti. It is tradition. It is important that we come to God in our best. And Kyle said, but if your best is just worn-out sandals, that's all God needs. And he said, you need to choose between tradition or Franklin. You need to choose. It cannot be both. A few weeks later, the church launched, and Kyle said during their time of prayer in the very first service, he looked down, and there was a young boy standing next to him that was wearing broken, mismatched sandals. And Kyle said, nothing ever looked more beautiful to me in my life. He said, not because I won an argument, because Jesus won a soul. Some didn't approve. He said, let me be clear, some did not approve. But here's what he wrote in his book. At the intersection of religion and Jesus, sometimes tradition collides with mission. And you will have to choose which one you're going to honor more. Church, in John chapter 9, when man's tradition collides with Jesus' mission, mission won out. And I pray that continues to happen here at KCC. And you heard me, continues to happen, because that's what I've seen over and over again. Tradition is going to clash with mission here. We're always going to have that. Always. Why? Because we follow a perfect Lord. He has imperfect servants who love their traditions. They do. And sometimes at the expense of people being reached for Christ. Can we all just be honest with that and say amen? Yeah, we do. We just do. Guilty. But we can choose to be a people whose focus and foundation is Jesus Christ and his gospel only. Who he is is never going to be optional. How we reach out to people to let them know who he is has to be. Paul's words, it says this. I will become all things to all men that I might win the more. Now, if you know Paul at all, who Jesus is in his gospel, not optional. How you reach out to people with it, very optional. As it was in Paul's day, let it be in ours. Number two, with Jesus, we are not problems to be solved. We are people to be loved. Amen? I hope you take that away from this. Man, it thumped me because there are times when I'm so full of, of my schedule and so full of my pride that I see this person in brokenness as a problem to be solved, not a person to be loved, and I'm trying to repent. And I have to do that a lot because I have a very full schedule and I have a very full pride tank. How about you? Can we just confess we see people that way, all of us? We see them sometimes as problems to be solved, not people to be loved. Instead of healing this man instantly, Jesus asked him to go and wash his eyes out in a distant pool. I thought that was kind of strange. But then I thought about it and I said, you know, Jesus never wasted any moment of anybody's life. And here's what I took away from that. It's only conjecture because Jesus doesn't spell it out, so put a question mark beside this one. Sometimes when we help people, we're going to have to ask them to do hard things. Hard things. Like maybe sell that computer and sell that phone until you can get a handle on your pornography. Like um, seriously, seriously lose some weight so you can get off the medication and be healthy again. Like, you fill in the blank. 
what seems like for the moment absurd and no way in the world sometimes to help people get healed, we're going to have to ask them to do the third thing, abnormal things. But we've got to get used to this. With Jesus, abnormal is the new normal. Really? A miracle mud pack? <laughs> he did this all the time. What do you mean go fishing? We just went fishing and we're professionals at this. And you want us to go fishing? Yes, throw the nets out, Peter. How do you want me to pay taxes? Judas has got the money box. You want me to go over here to the fish? Yes, you'll be surprised at what's inside. We're out of wine. What do you want us to do? Um, how much water can you get me? Jugs and jugs, Lord, get me some. What are you going to do with that? Watch. You want us to welcome people into our home who don't know we're coming? You want us to go to someone's home who don't know, they don't know where we're coming? Yes, we call that look who's coming to dinner. And I know for some of you it sounds weird as all get out, really? Yeah, but abnormal is the new normal with Jesus. Get used to it. This is not the place to get comfortable. Sorry. <laughs> and if you want that, you want another minister. I'm just going to be honest with that. I've been with our elders from the get-go. Jesus, go with him everywhere he walks. Nowhere to get comfortable, ever. Because we're helping broken people here. We're getting helped here. And one of the things this congregation and all of America needs is help understanding your home is the depot of discipleship. That hospitality is the missing power and place of the church to connect with other folks. And so we're asking you to get a little uncomfortable and go to someone's house that doesn't even know you're coming or have someone in your house and you don't know who they are. It's called Look Who's Coming to Dinner. And it's weird. But we love Raymond for bringing some of that weird here. Consider the source, all right? Number four, with Jesus, nothing is impossible. No one had ever taken water and turned it into wine, but John saw it with his own eyes. He said, i got to write this down. No one had ever walked on top of the water, let, let, let alone through a storm in some water. On top of it now, John said, I saw it, and I'm writing it down. No one had ever taken a boy's sack lunch and turned it into a feast for thousands. John said, I'm telling you, I saw it. And i got to write it down so other people can know about it. No one had ever heard of a man being born blind receiving his sight just because some man spit on the ground, made some mud, put it on his eyes and said, go wash. But I saw it happen. You need to get to know this guy who says he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. John would say, I'm a satisfied customer, and I'm telling you, I saw it. Here's my question for you this morning. What's your impossible? What's your impossible? Could it be some of the shoes that your tradition might be? Maybe your impossible is your marriage. I mean, honestly, that's, if you were asked to describe it in one word, that's what you'd put, impossible. Maybe it's some relationship that you have that you're trying to reconcile, and you've tried, and you've tried, and impossible. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your addiction. Please, welcome this guy into your life because he takes what's impossible, and he makes it possible. Now, he may ask you to do something you have never considered doing before. I want to warn you. I don't know what miracle mud he may ask you to apply to it. 
But let me encourage you. Let him. Follow him. Worship him. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as people who have both seen the light and those who keep walking back into darkness in certain areas and some of us who've never given over areas to you ever to shed some light on. We are going to celebrate and we are going to worship you. We are going to announce to the world how faithful, how good, how loving you are. And we pray that you receive it and it puts a joy on your, in your heart, a smile on your face. And Father, if there's someone here today who's never done the absurd, and that is to allow someone in the name of Jesus to put them in water and to raise them up, having their sins washed away, and the Holy Spirit move in. If they've been believing in Jesus but haven't taken that step, would you nudge them to do that this morning? That they might see like they've never seen. And if you've brought a brother or sister here today who walked in with their darkness and they're holding it close, but some way, somehow, your spirits has shown into their heart and they know they need to do something with it. Father, I'm going to ask you, while all of our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you help that person that needs our prayers for something in their life, a dark place in their health, a dark place in their finances, would you, would you enable them with the power of your spirit to just stand right where they are so that we can pray with them? With all of our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if someone in here has some dark spot, something in their life that they need prayer over, would you please just stand right now? No one's going to look. No one's going to look. Father, please, with their courage to stand, we ask them to come down the aisle all the time, but we're just asking them to stand this morning. If they've stood and there's someone close that can put some hands on them, would you do that? Would you just nudge them? Maybe that's a little awkward. Maybe that's a little abnormal for them, but would you, would you enable them to just put their hands on them? Lord Jesus Christ, the one who takes blind eyes, and helps us see. Would you leash, unleash that power into my brother or sister or my friend and enable them to see? Will you unleash your light in us to illumine the dark places we don't even want you messing with? Will you enable us, Father, to be that conduit that helps other people see who right now can't see? But right now our focus are on these people who need very desperately for some light to shine into their world of darkness. However they need that, God, would you please provide that for them so that the whole world will know you did that. Now I'm going to ask everyone else to please stand. And let's worship God together.